0: for this morning. Thanks for a a rich time of worship, God, and I pray now that as we dive into your Word, God, that your Holy Spirit would lead and teach and guide us this morning and reveal to us what is necessary for us so that we can become more like your Son, God. So thank you for your Word, that it's living and it's active, and teach us and guide us this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, let me ask you, have you ever um, asked these questions like, those questions like, who am I, and uh, what, am I here? what is my purpose in life, or what kind of person am I? What kind of person do I want to be, or what kind of person am I? I know like, in our younger years, especially our teen years, these are, these are questions that are running rampant, but I think that it's true that throughout our whole life, we are really trying to figure out what our um, identity is, because that's what these questions answer. These questions help us in order to determine our identity. And our identity, and I kind of put up a definition for you, is our definition really is our sense of self. It's the way that we define ourselves based on our values, beliefs, background, and our personality. It's the perception or view that we have of ourselves. So that makes sense that during the younger your teenage years, you're trying to figure out what's going on during those times. Who am I? What is all this all about? How do I really see myself? So the difficult thing, though, about this whole idea of figuring out your identity is that uh, when it comes to f- having a healthy sense of identity, a healthy sense of who we are, it's hard to do that because there's so many things out there that we can base or we can find our identity in. I mean, it's all over the place, all in front of us, all, all the time. You know, some of those things are healthy, but many of them are not. See, it's when we find, uh, we begin to find our in th- in identity in things that are kind of tenuous or not kind of things that we can know for sure will hold out forever. These, this happens when we do this. What can happen so oftentimes is we can find ourselves really struggling with our identity. What I'm talking about, I'm talking about those things that we try to find our identity in sometimes, like our abilities, or the circumstances that we find ourselves in, or our possessions, like our home, or our car, things like that, or even our relationships, you know, sometimes we find our identity in our accomplishments. I'm th- I've done this well. This is who I am. I'm, a, I'm great at this. or I'm good at that. And that's where we find our identity. Or a lot of times, many of us find our sense of identity in our acceptance or approval of other people. I know that's a, that's a big one for a lot of people. And that's been one for most of my life I've struggled with. So this is a tough. This is a tough thing. So when, because when things change in those areas, when people's perception or different things change for us, or we fall short of the expectations that we have, we can find ourselves experiencing this crisis of identity. What they call, you know, identity crisis. That's what happens when we have put our identity in something and it's not holding up anymore. It's not doing it for us, and we're having this identity crisis. Now, the truth, here's the truth. The truth is that if you're a follower of Jesus, okay, if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, we are first and foremost, before anything else, children of God, okay, before anything else, for our career, our profession, our accomplishments before anything else. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are anything else, you're a child of God. Look at Romans 8, 8, chapter 8, says. it says, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. What this means is, is as a follower of Jesus, our identity or the sense of self comes from being identified with Jesus in all of his glory. That's what it means. As a follower of Jesus, we identify with him in all that he has, all the glory that he has, we can identify in that. Now that's held back a bit because we live in this sinful world right now, but eventually it'll all be ours to share with him. That's an amazing thing. This means, here's what this means. We talked a little bit about this last week. This means that no longer does God see our imperfections. When God looks at us, I heard someone even this morning say, I, you know, I, I, I struggle with guilt. I struggle with these things. But here's the deal. We got to understand when it comes to our identity. Because if you're a follower of Jesus, you're identified with Jesus in all his glory, God does not see your imperfections. What he sees is the righteousness of his son. I think this is what the enemy loves to trip us up with, to get us to not believe this. Do you you realize that when God, if you're a follower of Jesus, when God looks at you, he looks at you through the righteousness of his son. How's that for an identity? I mean, that is amazing. But it sure is hard to live in, isn't it? It's very, very difficult. So what does this practically look like? What does it look like to find our identity in Jesus? I mean, how can we know if we are finding our identity in Jesus? Well, this is exactly where we're hidden today in the passage we're coming to in Matthew, where we're we're continuing our study. Uh, Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 to 28, we're going to see how Jesus really helps us understand what it means to find our identity in Him. And the first thing we're going to see right off the bat is that finding our identity in Jesus means sharing His mission. Okay, that's going to be the first section we're going to look at. Finding our identity in Jesus means sharing in his mission. Let's start by looking at verses 13 through 16. Okay, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others say Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am, Simon Peter replied, "You are the Christ, the Son of the Living God." Okay, so here we have Jesus. He, knowing that his disciples—I mean, they've been around the crowds and all that stuff—he knows that they've kind of had their ear to the ground a bit. So he says, "Who do the people say that I am? Who, do the, who, what have you heard?" And they, and they, and the Son of, by the way, the Son of Man. He says, "This is what this really is—just a term that Jesus used to describe Himself." Now. Due to the similarities that Jesus had with John the Baptist, remember even remember we looked at Herod. Herod Antipas thought that Jesus was actually John the Baptist raised from the dead because there are so similarities. So with the similarities of that, with what the people knew of Elijah, what the people knew of Jeremiah back in the Old Testament, what they figure, this is, God, this is, this is who Jesus must be. So this is what they're telling the disciples. We think that he's a prophet. He's probably one of the prophets, probably come back to life. So that's who they think that he is. Well, Jesus then says, okay. Then he proceeds to ask them, who do they believe him to be? Now, in the original language, I think your NIV does it even better if you have that version. The original language puts, really puts the emphasis on, but you. He asked them, what do they, what do they think? But, but what the original language says, but you, who do you say that I am? That's the big push here. Who do you believe that I am? You see, what Jesus is doing something, he's doing something very, very important here. What he's doing, and you're going to see it, this is... Actually, what we're looking at today, this passage today really is like a fulcrum or a pivotal point in the gospel, okay? We're going to see how Jesus is really helping his disciples and us, but mainly his disciples as we know already, but really helping them to understand and broaden their understanding of who he really is and what it really means to be a follower of his, okay? He's going to turn up the heat. He's going to really help them to understand who he is, okay? That's why this question is so significant. And it's super significant for us today. It's still a very good question because really in order to find our identity in Jesus, we need to have a proper understanding of who he really is and what it really means to be his follower. I think there's a lot of people that would say, I'm a Christian. Yes, of course, I've been at church all my life or whatever like that. But really there's a misunderstanding not only of who Jesus really is, but what it really means what it actually means to follow him. And we're going to look at some very familiar verses today that if you've been in church at, at all for a long period of time, you'll recognize these. And they're pretty hardcore. So this is where Jesus is going with all this. He's saying, really, the question we need to answer, is he just a prophet? I mean, to many people, that's all he is these days. He's just, he was one of those great Old Testament prophets. Well, just one of many. I mean, is he someone that you just only call to in time of need? Is he one of those guys? Is that how we look at our faith? I'll call, I'll call on Jesus, but really only when things get really tough. Is he someone that you called on one at one time, once, just in order to make sure that you got out of hell? Is Jesus, as remember their T-shirt used to say, is Jesus just your homeboy, just kind of some pal of mine that we interact every once in a while, or is Jesus actually your savior? And your master, the one that you're willing to give up anything and everything to follow. See, this is what Jesus is getting at. Who do you say that I am? You need to understand who you think I am. Not what you grew up with, not within your par- what your parents told you, or your Christian school, what, what they told you. No, who do you think I am? I remember I was, like I told you, I was, worked in youth ministry for like over 30 years, and that was one of the biggest things was trying to help young people to own their own faith, to make it their own. Not moms and dads, not what they've been told, but do you really, who is Jesus to you? That's what Jesus is doing here because it's so important for their whole lives. Now, although Jesus' question really was addressed to all the disciples, he really was asking them all, As a group, but Peter, uh, acting as their spokesman, as he was very good at doing, he answers for the whole group. Okay, he answers while he declares that Jesus, he is the Christ. You're the Messiah. Now, this doesn't mean that Jesus and all the disciples totally understood uh, everything that that entailed, what it meant that Jesus was Messiah, but what it did show that they did understand that he was more than just a prophet like the rest of the crowd, okay? So they were moving along, but as we're going to see, what Jesus is going to be doing is pushing, pushing, pushing even more. So let's look at his response to Peter. Look at verse 17. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. So notice, first of all, notice that in commending Peter, uh, he, what Jesus says, he, he addresses him uh, by his given name. Okay, he calls him Simon. And he adds Bar-Jonah, or son of Jonah. And what he's doing here, instead of going Peter, what he's doing here is he is emphasizing that human nature, in his human nature, is not what, not what gave him that information. He did not get conjure that up because human nature told him, because he is just a man, born of a man and a woman. So it wasn't something that he was able to come up with on his own, but it was a divine revelation from God himself. And this is another super important truth, because the reality is, if you and I understand anything about God, if there's anything that resonates in your heart and your soul and your mind about God, it's only because the Spirit of God did that. That's only, if it really resonates with your soul, it's only because God's spirit did that. Look at First uh, Corinthians chapter 2, 11 and, verses 11 and 12 says this. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one can comprehend the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand things freely given us by God. You see, amongst other things, one of the roles, and I'd really love to, we, I would love to do a, a series on the Holy Spirit, because I've, lately I've been having different questions people asking, what is the role of the Holy Spirit? Well, one of the roles, along with other ones, is to reveal spiritual truths that we need in order to grow in godliness. That's his job, okay? His job is to reveal these truths to us. You see, the, the Holy Spirit really is God's gift to all those who have placed their trust in Jesus. He's an amazing gift that reveals to us God's truth. That's why, this is why, this is so important. This is why being in God's word on a regular basis is so important because as we read this living word, what the Holy Spirit does, the Holy Spirit kind of works as a guide and to reveal the riches of Jesus to our souls. Does that make sense? That's what his job is. That's what his role is. So if we're neglecting the Bible, if we're neglecting the word, what we're actually doing is not only we're not reading God's word, but we're not allowing the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, to reveal amazing truths to us. So this isn't supposed to be a guilt trip or anything like that. It's just an amazing opportunity to know that not only is God's word living and active, but we have a Holy Spirit that actually guides us through it, helps us understand it. That doesn't mean everything you read in the Bible you're going to totally understand. Believe me, there's things I read in the Bible all the time. I thought, what? But if anything comes, if anything speaks to your soul, it's because the Holy Spirit of God told you. That's why we need to be in God's Word as sort of reveal more and more and more. Remember, I said last week. Remember how many of times we've come back to something that we read five years ago or a long time ago, same passage, and hits us like like brand new or encourages us or that's the Holy Spirit that's what he does that's why we need to constantly be in the word not to earn any points not to earn oh did my quiet time okay good everything's good today no not at all it's to give the Holy Spirit an opportunity to give us more insight into God and into Jesus. It's such an amazing thing. Now, now what, here's what we're going to do. We're going to come to really uh, what can easily be seen as one of the most debated and probably most understood passages in the whole Bible. So it was fun reading a lot this week to figure this out. We could spend a lot of time on it. We're going to try to not spend too much time on it. But look at verses 18 and 19. He says, Jesus says this. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. All right, let's pray. (laughs) That would be way easier for me. Uh, no, see, uh, here's what happened. When Jesus first called Peter to be one of his followers, you know, he, remember he changed his name, remember? He changed his name from Simon to Peter, which means rock or it means a stone. You know, oftentimes God did this in the Bible. He changed people's names in order to speak to the change of their identity or what their future was going to look like. Remember, for instance, God changed Abram which means high father to what? Abraham, exactly, which means father of a multitude. Okay, he's the father of, the, of, of Israel. Okay, he's the father, he's the father of, that, of the nation. Okay, and remember Sarai, what, what was her name changed to? Sarah, Sarah, Sarai meant my princess. Sarah means mother of nations. So you see what God was doing here? He was not only he wasn't just changing their name, like, like, I don't like the name that your parents gave you. I got a better one for you. You know, that's not good. No, he was saying, I'm changing your name because I'm changing your whole identity, the whole way that you see yourself. As we know in many other cultures, people are their names mean a lot more than just like Steve and Rob and Rick and like that. It has a, a lot of meaning to it. That's what God is doing here. So in in this passage, though, Jesus is going to go ahead and explain why he changed Peter's uh, name from Simon. He first tells Peter that on this rock, he will build his church. Okay, here's what this means. What this means is that on Peter, by God's grace, not by his own human nature, Jesus is going to build his church. You see, because Peter was one of the first ones to kind of grasp who Jesus was. What he's saying here is that he will be the first foundation stone at the very beginning of this church, okay? This founding of this church, Peter's going to be one of the first cornerstones here. But yet, here's what he says. He says, because this is important, because the way that the, this um, wording is here, Peter is really just a representative of the other 12 disciples. We've got to remember that. He was a representative, or really what we would call, and we call this, I'm this, I have this title here with our elder board, first amongst equals. Okay, with our elder board here, the, what we're trying to kind of switch our culture a little bit from the fact that everything rests on me. I don't want that responsibility. First of all, it's not, I don't believe it's biblical. We want an elder board that we act together, that are shepherds that work together, that God speaks to all of us. Sure, I'm the I'm the first amongst equals. That means that I drive the vision. I do kind of. But I would never say, guys, here's what we're gonna do. I don't. I, I, you just got to get on board. That's not biblical. There's nowhere in the Bible says that that's how a church should be run. I want, we want well, men that are going to feel their call to lead and do that. But first amongst equals, that's what Peter was. Peter was a first amongst equals. So it's perfectly legitimate to speak of all of the disciples, including Peter, as a part of the church's foundation because of their foundational work in pointing people uh, to Jesus. Now, Jesus did not mean that the church was founded only on Peter, that he was the first pope. That's not what we believe. Okay, We don't believe that that's what the scriptures say. But the church began with Peter, along with the other disciples. And that's, in the context of how this is written, that is what we believe that it's saying. Now, here's the next thing. Saying that the gates of hell, what is that? The gates of hell will not prevail. It makes it sound like these gates of hell are running, these gates are running around trying to, trying to do something. That's not what's, what's going on here. What Jesus is saying here, he's emphasizing the fact that because the powers of death could not hold him in the grave, not only would the church that he's establishing be able to be, move on and grow in spite of the powers of death, but what he's saying is it will thrive despite the powers of death. Okay? That's what, what Jesus is trying to get across is this is how powerful the universal church is. You can knock down the building. You can torture the people. You can kill us all you want. But the church, universal church, is not going away. You know, there's countries in this world, it's illegal to come together as a church. Does that mean the church doesn't exist in that country? Not at all. Not at all. The church is a powerful force. That's what Jesus is trying to say here. A powerful force. Not because it's got a great building or because they've gotten up to thousands and thousands of people. That's fine. But it's because something he established in his power. That's what he is saying. That's how powerful the church of Jesus Christ is. Now, Jesus goes on to say some other interesting things here, interesting things. He highlights the, really the authority and the responsibility that Peter and the other disciples have that come with developing this new founded church. And he says to you guys, giving them the keys to the kingdom of heaven. He, and what he's saying is these keys that I'm giving you now, obviously, he didn't give them any, he didn't hand them keys. But these keys, are what they represent is this power and authority, what we see here, to bind things and to loose things. Here's what this means practically. Practically what he's talking about here is that as followers of Jesus, from Peter on, we are given the authority and the responsibility to proclaim the gospel, which is the thing that opens the door to salvation to those who would want to have it. Okay, that's what he said. You have, I'm giving you all, all of us, the authority and the power to preach the gospel that opens that door to salvation. Okay, yet for those who refuse it, the door remains shut. It remains locked. Now, we don't, we're not doing the locking, but we're opening, we're providing opportunities for people to come to know Jesus. But we're also acknowledging when people deny him, the door's shut. And we've talked about that in the past. What God says about people that continue to deny and deny and deny. So, you see what a privilege that we have as followers of Jesus. Not only are we privy to the secrets of the kingdom like we saw back in chapter 13. But we, as Peter was, we are given the keys to the kingdom of heaven. You and I have power, and we have authority and a responsibility to rightly interpret and apply the truths of the kingdom of heaven. This is a huge responsibility we have. You think, I didn't go to Bible school, though. I'm just a baby Christian. You're a follower of Jesus. You have been given authority and a responsibility to share what you know and not worry about the results. That's just your response That's your response because you've been given the keys. you've been given the keys to the kingdom. Even as a baby, you've been given the key. It's like giving a 16- year- old these keys to their think I want you young people think about it, your dream car. If I were to say, "Here it is, here is the keys to your brand new Ferrari. I, I love I had a really cool car when I was young. I had two of them. One was a 75 Camaro that I souped up; it was awesome. But then I was able to get this '66 Volkswagen Bug that had been taken to Tijuana, completely gutted, and then redone with crushed velvet material. You know, the robe cage, the you know, every, it was just it was, it was, it was amazing. But at the time too, that was probably when I was growing the fastest in my walk with Jesus too. So I wanted this car. I wanted to honor God with this car, which. Sometimes it was difficult, (laughs) but it it used to be nitrous and then I didn't have it that way. Um, But I remember having this nice car and just go, and and now that I'm thinking about things like this, I'm going, it's like when I got that. I remember I was so thrilled. I was 18, 19 when I got this car, so thrilled to have this car, but I was also aware of the big responsibility I had, not only by having a really nice car, but also being a believer with a really nice car. 'Cause everybody wanted to race me at a stop sign. Never seen that, have you, Gary? Never. <laughs> I, and that was so I felt a really big responsibility, believe it or not, as a nineteen year old to glorify God with my hot rod. That was God. That wasn't me, that was God doing that. And that's what this is like. It's like giving you the keys and saying, You've got something awesome but do something with it. Don't just sit. Don't say, I got the keys. I'm going to sit on them. Do something with it. I'll give you the power to do that. Okay. Now this, this would be, you would think now after hearing that, the disciples would go, ho. ho, ho, ho. let's go shout this from the rooftops. Let's go tell people what we got. Let's go tell people what is happening. But we see in this next verse though, that Jesus puts the brakes on. He says, before you shout into the rooftops who I am, wait a second. Okay, look at verse, 25, look, verse 20. Verse 20, he says, Then he strictly charged his disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. What? Wait, 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 wait. You just told us that we have the keys to the kingdom of heaven and all this authority and responsibility, and now you're muzzling us? What? Oh, I, I don't get it. You see, what's happening is Jesus saying, You're right. You are right. I am the Christ, I am the Messiah. But before you go and shout it from the rooftops, before you go tell people, there's more that you need to understand, okay? You see, remember the disciples, they were still thinking that the Messiah was this warrior king that had come to reclaim his kingdom and overthrow the Roman Empire, you know, and lead Israel to power. That was their perception of the Messiah at the time. But as we know, God had a different plan, So if they're going to tell people who the Messiah is, Jesus, that he was Jesus, they need to fully understand, okay? They understand what it really meant. And you know what? Once again, this is really important for us today. Not only when it comes to sharing our faith, but when it comes to helping other people understand what it means to follow Jesus. We need to be diligent to continue to grow in our understanding in our knowledge, and in our intimacy with Jesus. It's one thing to gain a lot of facts. I know some guys out there that have, or men and women, that have tons of facts they know about Jesus, but they don't really know Jesus very well. You see, it's one thing to communicate facts and ideas that I know about Jesus, I mean, you can call this learned perception. It's another thing to communicate to someone out of the depth of your intimacy with Jesus. Does that make sense? There's a difference there. I mean, I can talk to someone that I know about, Kim Kardashian, for instance. I can talk about Kim Kardashian from everything that I see on you know, social media and hear on TV, whatever. And it, but really, it's going to be based on my perception of Kim Kardashian. Okay, what every, Everything I see and hear. But if I were to talk to that same person about my wife, okay, that conversation is going to be based on the depths of my intimacy and my intimate relationship with her. You see the difference? I'm going to really be able to explain who she is because I really know her and I really love her. It's going to be a whole different ballgame. That's what he's saying here. And this is Jesus' mission. That he wants us to share in in order to find our identity in him okay it's just adding to and building up the church by sharing our faith and helping other people to deepen in understand and deepen their truth about Jesus we want to that's what he's calling us to go share your faith be a part of sharing your faith come alongside people help them to grow that's what that 's what his mission is really. And many of you know this, there is no greater satisfaction than knowing that you are participating in Jesus' mission by sharing your faith or coming alongside someone in order to help them to understand scriptures better. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You get done sharing your faith and you just go, you know, I wasn't the best, I wasn't the cleanest, I don't think I even did everything right, but woo, I, 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 that's what I was designed for. Or you're talking to someone about Jesus, you're helping someone, you come alongside someone and you're discipling them or you're just talking about Jesus and they start to understand. You walk away from that conversation and go, wow, I was meant to do that. I'm not articulate, I'm not great, I'm not super smart, but oh my gosh, I was able to communicate the truths of Jesus that he's taught me and I was able to help them. Wow, there's no better feeling than that. I mean, it is amazing because that's what he's joy, he, that's where identity should be found. We should be able to say, that's who I am, okay? That's where I find myself, my true self, in doing that, okay? Now, in, these, in the process of broadening the disciples' understanding of who he really is, now Jesus drops a bomb on them, okay? Now he's really going to go full barrel. and he's doing. And what he's going to be doing, he's doing this. What we're going to see is that finding our identity in Jesus means sharing his mindset. Okay, that's the second thing. Finding our identity in Jesus means, finding, it means sharing his mindset. Look at verse 21. He says, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders of the chief priests and the scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. Now, you and I read these words and we go, yeah, we know that. Yeah, I know. Yeah, of course I know that. Yeah, he gets tortured and killed and kangaroo court. We, we know all that stuff. We know these things about Jesus. But to the disciples, this had to be like a punch to the gut. This had to just be mind-boggling to them, a complete shock. You see, there's little evidence. I was reading about this today. There's really, this week, there's really little evidence that in Judaism of that time, that the expectations of the Messiah was that he was going to suffer and be killed. Even though it was in the Old Testament, that they, their mindset was not, okay, when the Messiah comes, he's going to suffer, torture, and be brutally killed. Okay, we get that. We understand. That's, that's not what they were thinking at all. So with this thought swirling around in their head that Jesus had just said, they're, well, they're my best be going, what? And so obviously who speaks up? Peter, their spokesman, goes for, look at verse 22, he says, And Peter took him aside and began to b- rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, that this should ever happen to you. So, Jesus, so there's Peter. He pulls Jesus aside and begins to voice his disapproval at what Jesus is, has just said. What? what? You said you're the Messiah. Now, now what's going to happen? You see, Jesus had a different mindset which really expa- explains this next verse, his sharp rebuke to Peter. Look what he says in verse 23. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Wow, how'd you like to have that one? How'd you like that to be a response to, you know, you're talking to your friend. Get behind me, Satan. Like, what the? What are you talking about? That's what he does. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. So what's going on here is Jesus is recognizing that Satan the devil is actually using Peter to attempt to seduce him to try to usher in his kingdom without enduring the suffering of the cross. Pretty big temptation, wouldn't it be? You know, can you see see that conversation with Jesus? Hey, God, I, Father, I, this is a I, we. This is a great thing. Is there a plan B? Possibly. No. He knew exactly. He was faithful to what his father had called him to do. So. He knew this, but Jesus knew that without the cross, there was no crown. He knew that. If I don't go to the cross, the kingdom won't happen like my father wants it to happen. He he recognizes Satan, the trap that Satan is setting. He literally says to Peter here, you are not thinking the thoughts of God. You're not thinking God thoughts. You're thinking human thoughts here, okay? He recognized the trap because... Obviously, this is human thoughts, because from a human mindset, the mindset, the concept of the Messiah suffering and dying made absolutely no sense. This is, you're doing crazy talk, Jesus. But look at what the Apostle Paul said in Philippians chapter 2. He says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So we see in these verses, these verses here, we see that finding our identity in Jesus means sharing in his mindset a mindset of complete humility, obedience, and servanthood. This is what our mindset should be. Obedience, humility, obedience, and servanthood. But what does, that, what does that look like, okay? We all know that, but what does that practically look like, okay? What does it mean? What's it supposed to mean for the disciples? What's it supposed to mean for us? Well, Jesus tells us as he now turns to the rest of his disciples, he's talking to Peter, he turns to the rest of the disciples and explains to them really the implications of what it means to be identified with as his follower. Here's what it looks like. You want to really be my disciples? Here's what it looks like. And he says that finding our identity in Jesus means sharing in his sacrifice. That's the third one, this last section. To be, to find our identity in Jesus means to share in his sacrifice. Look at verses 24 to 26. When Jesus told his disciples... For his soul. This had to be mind boggling words to the disciple. See, because to deny yourself means really to disassociate yourself from your own interests. Oh, wow, I'm not very good at that. I don't know about you, but I'm not. It's a sacrificing of all reliance on whatever we are by nature and depending on God and God alone. And taking up our cross or bearing our cross, really what this symbolizes is, is not only our willingness to endure pain and, and to endure shame and persecution for Jesus' sake, yeah, that, that's part of it, but it's this willingness to sacrifice or die to our desires, to our dreams, to our goals, to our ambitions in order to put Jesus first, ouch, What are your plans? What are your ambitions? What are your deepest desires? To take up your cross means willing to put those aside, to sacrifice those things in order to put Jesus first and do what he is calling you to do. The truth is that Jesus is trying, the truth that he's trying to convey to these guys here is that fighting to maintain control of our, lo- of our lives and pursue before all else our own interests, what that'll happen, the fact the fact that we lose, our, we lose our life in the midst of doing that, if you're going to pursue that hardcore, you're going to lose your life. Not, what that means is you're going to lose your very self. You're gonna lose your very self when you when you when you have to say I have to be in control. But on the other hand, when we lay down control of our lives and the in the pursuit of our other, I'm sorry, when we lay down control over our lives and pursue our own interest for those of Jesus with a willingness to pay any price, it's then that we experience. And we're willing to say, I'm going to put all this, my stuff aside. I'm going to put all my interests aside in order to pursue Jesus. What he's saying is, that's when you experience real life. That's when you experience this abundant life that I'm talking about. Okay, when, when, what, when we're will, here's here's what, here's what, this is practical. When we're willing to say things like this, here's my life, Lord. It is all yours. I'll go where you want me to go. I'll do what you want me to do. I'll give what you want me to give. I'll suffer what you want me to suffer. What Jesus is saying, when we have that mindset, we're willing to sacrifice like that, then we will find true life. Then we will find life as it's meant to be lived here in the joy of the Lord and in our life to come. Nothing, he's saying also here, he says, nothing is more important than your soul. There's nothing more important than your soul, your very self. The word here in the Greek is psyche. There's nothing more important. So what good is it at gaining everything, yet losing your very soul? I mean, that's a horrible deal. That's a horrible deal or no deal. You know, the show. that's a terrible deal. Why would you do that? But that's what our flesh says, I got to have, I got to hold on, I got to hold on. Jesus says, let it go. Let it go. Let your life go. Give it away. Be willing to do things that seem absolutely insane. Because Jesus told you to do it. And you know he wants you to do it. Now, most of us aren't going to do things that are just so insane. But it's that willingness to say, I'll give up anything. My desires, whatever. You know, I'm retiring soon. I got a plan. Do you? Does it include Jesus? Does it include what he might have for you to do? Where he might have you to go? How you might have you to serve? This is tough stuff. You see how Jesus is turning things and really helping them understand. If you want to follow me, you want to start to tell people screaming from the rooftops that I'm the Messiah and what it means to follow me, you better get it right. You better understand what it really means. What we see here is that finding our identity in Jesus means sharing in his sacrifice of denying self in order to find our true self. When we deny ourselves, we find our true self for the sake of Christ. The truth is, we don't need to seek. To possess what the world has. We don't need to do that and then in turn lose our very self. We can leave the matter of being rewarded to Jesus. We're thinking, well, I want to get the most I can out of this life. Well, Jesus says, you know what? That's not what it's about. Look at verses uh, 27 and 28, the last verses here. Look what he says For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels and the glory and his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly I say to you, there is some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. You see, on that great day, on that judgment day, when everybody who ever lived stands before the throne of God, we see here what he's saying is everyone will be repaid or they will be rewarded according to what they have done. Now, in a, this is a broad term, and it does, it's not that it's talking about your lifestyle in general, but what he's talking about, everybody will be judged or they will be rewarded on whether or not, whether or not they were able to maintain their commitment to Jesus even when it got tough. Even when it went against the grain or against what everything people are telling them, this is where the rewards, this is where the judgment's going to happen. What did you do? With what Jesus said to do. First and foremost, obviously, did you accept that free gift of salvation? Then did you give your life fully to Him? That's what He's looking for. Commentator um, William Barclay says this, The man who selfishly hugs life to himself, the man whose first concern is his own safety, his own security, and his own comfort is in heaven's eyes, the failure, however rich and successful and prosperous he may be, seem to be, the man who spends himself for others and who lives life as a gallant adventure is the man who receives heaven's praise and God's reward. Wow. See, Jesus ends this whole thing here with a promise. He ends the whole thing by saying there's some of you that are standing here that you're going to be witnessing the ushering in of the kingdom of heaven, which is going to begin when I raise from the dead. You're going to be there. You're going to be able to see this happen. One more commentator. Janine Brown sums up really everything that we said here. She says this. I, just, I couldn't paraphrase. I just need to. She says. She writes this. To follow Jesus means to take the role of a servant. It also means participating in the shape and shaping a Christian community that is known for the way it restores relationships, forgives, and seeks out those who have strayed or are most vulnerable in the believing community. Bearing one's cross or self-denial is not about holding a certain attitude; it is about doing actions on behalf of others. It is not about self-loathing or eliminating the self from you. Instead, it follows Jesus in mission and ministry wherever he leads. I really want to encourage you as we close, and ready to sing a closing song. I want to encourage you to find your identity in Jesus by sharing. And his mission of, like we talked about, I just talked about it's adding and building up this church. Okay? And his sharing in his mindset of complete humility and obedience and servanthood and the sacrifice of denying ourselves in order to find ourselves. This is a rich passage, isn't it? But very difficult. But Jesus wants-this is what Jesus wants for us, because he knows that. This will give us clarity in our true identity, in seeking who we are, who we're supposed to be. This is what gives us clarity in answering the question, who am I? What am I supposed to do? What am I here for? Jesus just told us. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your powerful word. Thank you that it truly shapes us, how it convicts, but how it, it encourages us as well. So God, I pray that you would take these words from your spirit today and you would use it in each one of our hearts. I pray for my friends here this morning. I pray, God, that these words would go deep into their heart and into their soul. That God, as your followers, we would truly desire to give our lives to Jesus completely and wholly, Father God. Help us to do that. Show us how to walk in this life uh, truly as a follower of Jesus. And it's his name we pray. Amen.